Welcome, everyone. It's Michael James Lauren with the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. Well, I think you've been waiting for a topic like this. It's the radical pursuit of rest, escaping the productivity trap. Dr. Kessler joins us. He's an author, and also he's the chair and professor of pastoral studies at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Yes, I think you've heard of it. And uh, welcome to the program. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here with you. We have an interesting subject on our hands. I'm thinking maybe you were in your office overworked and you came up with this idea. And how did that happen? You know, there's a certain amount of truth, a certain amount of truth there. I think most of my books sort of uh, are a result of self-therapy. They they grow out of issues that I'm wrestling with in my own life that I then begin to reflect on and then put down on paper. And I, I think for me, I really had become troubled about the this uh the kind of mentality that I was experiencing in the context of uh church particularly in the context of worship this sense that if you aren't there producing something you really have no value you really shouldn't even be there and uh the more I looked around me the the more I saw that that seemed to be the case or at least that's I don't know if it's the intentional message, but it seemed to be the unintentional message. And then I couldn't help contrasting that with Jesus' offer of rest in Matthew 11, that he invites people to come to him and he promises to give them rest. Yes, that's a good point. I'm thinking, too, that you know how they have these videos in churches and they talk about um, how busy they are. Of course, I know they're doing good in Jesus' name, but uh, if you look at the old days where Maybe they did rest a little bit more and paused and listened to the Word of God, and it wasn't about kind of what the church is up to. Is that kind of what we're talking about a little bit? Yes, I think that part of this is that the church absorbs the you know, the spirit of the culture often, and we are very much living in an age where we tend to define ourselves by what we do. So, you know, and I mean, I think it's... It has always been true, but when you, so you meet people, one of the first things you say to them is, well, what do you do? You know, and it's, that's the first question that comes often and after people tell you what their name is. And so there is a sense that we find value in terms of our ability to produce something, achieve something. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, society, that's, society is built on this this compact we have with one another, when it works its way into the the life of the church so that we come to see ourselves as, you know, first and foremost uh, workers, see ourselves as people who really only have value based on what we produce for the church, then I think it becomes really problematic and it begins to go up against the Bible's theology of grace. Yes, and Dr. Kessler, I have to ask you, was the research hard for this as far as the uh, the resting part? Well, the practice is hard <laughs> for me. I, you know, the research isn't hard in terms of the – you see that message shot through the whole Bible. Uh, I think the – I think the challenge is that we uh, we are, for me personally at least, you know, I find that my lifestyle works so much against it, especially in a kind of a digital culture where we are always available. You know, we're always. I mean, when I when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I check my email. The last thing I do before I go to bed at night is check my email, and uh, 
you know, I, I've begun to see that that's, that's really not helpful. <laughs> that's really not a good thing for me to do. Well, when I think about what real humility is, and, you know, my dad is not a believer in Jesus, and so I'll take a time to pause or rest, if you will, and pray before we eat the food, and it, it kind of almost puts a jimmy in the whole thing, is that why do you have to stop what yeah. we're doing? We're ready to go ahead and eat here, and and that in itself is really rest, just having a bit of humility before the Lord, and you said that rest is all about God, isn't it? Yes, and, and actually, I think it's a wonderful example because uh, I have had the same experience with my father, uh, um, you know, many years ago where he actually took me to task when I prayed before the meal because his thinking was, look, why are you thanking God for this? I provided this, hmm. you know, why, <laughs> why give thanks to him? That there, It really is reflects a kind of a, a humility that is very much tied into some of the Bible's practices of rest, you know, the the for example, the Sabbath practice and the promise of Sabbath in the Old Testament. One of the things that that, if you look at it in all of its forms, there it required God's people to sort of step back from the normal means of production in order to rely on God to provide for them, and it became a kind of, uh, you know, it is in its in its original intent, it is a it is a kind of symbol. It is a kind of uh, a statement that God is making to us that he, he's the one who takes care of us. And I do think when we pray and give thanks that we are acknowledging that, that even though our own effort may be involved, you know, we're working for a living, we buy the food, we prepare the food, the strength to do that, the provision of it all originates with God. And he's the one who cares for us and takes care of us. Yes, I imagine this is written for the seminary student. I kid when I say that. You work at Moody Bible Institute, and I'm sure that when people go to seminary at first, you know, they're resting in the Word of God and, and praying, and all of a sudden they've got a million and one classes. Have yeah. they uh, thanked you for this book? You know, I haven't found a way to require it in my classes. <laughs> so, I, you know, but it, that really isn't one of those environments where uh, – where it becomes very hard to practice the uh, both the disciplines of rest and to remind ourselves of the need for rest simply because of that. It's an unbalanced lifestyle. Any anybody who's in school faces that that there's there's so much work that they have to do. They have tons of reading to do, usually in a short period of time, and they very easily fall into this uh, treadmill kind of a mentality and. I didn't actually write it. I, I, I did really just first and foremost, I wrote it for myself. And I think, you know, in my own mind, I, I was writing it for the church at large, for the ordinary person who is struggling with these things to help them understand the that the really this rest in Scripture is also a synonym for grace, for all that which God does for us and provides for us that we cannot do for ourselves, which Jesus it's personified in the person of Christ, you know, because when Jesus makes that offer of rest in Matthew 11, ultimately what he's really offering is himself. Mm. Absolutely. And you look at the disciples, they got ch chastened for sleeping too much and resting too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but really, um, I think what the Lord was saying is, you know, kind of get with me and, and uh, it's the pull, though, and the drag of, of the world and and when you look at some of the disciplines, really, for Christians, I mean, the example is that when you don't take the time to rest and pray, which a lot of Christians don't do, and also 
actually reading the Bible is to take time out of your busy schedule and think of the Lord Jesus before yourself. And that's hard in itself. That's resting. And and can you think of any other examples there? Well, it's an interesting thing about the disciplines of rest that um, they on the you know, it's uh, the thing that I sort of compare it to is that eating, you know, eating is not food in the sense that eating is what I do in order to get access to the food. And sometimes eating can become dysfunctional for for some people, either the eating or the not eating. I think there's a parable when it comes to all the spiritual disciplines, and particularly the disciplines of rest. One of the things somebody said to me not long after I'd written the book, and was they were talking to me about, they said, "Oh, all this talk about disciplines of rest—it just makes me tired." You know that the the disciplines themselves become confused with the rest that Christ offers. And they become a kind of a drudgery so that, uh, again, if I, I go back to this core promise that Jesus gives in Matthew 11, you, actually, if you look at the way that it's framed in the biblical language, Jesus could, one way you could translate it is Jesus says, I will rest you, that Jesus is the one who brings rest about. And so the disciplines of rest are ways that we structure our lives, for example, the, the practice of Sabbath, taking it as a regular discipline in somebody's life. It's a way that I structure my life to to be able to make myself aware of the rest that Christ provides for me. It's not that the discipline actually does it for me, because I can fall into that trap where I feel like it all depends on me, even to find this rest mm. that God offers as a gift. I agree with that. You know, something for your book, and maybe it could be an appendix for, you can take my idea, but how about having like every character from the Bible and you can grade them based on how well they rested? Like yeah. we could start with David. Yeah. And I think David would probably get like an A plus, at least at one point in his life for, for resting in the Lord. Uh, Samson, maybe not so much. Uh, yeah. I think Paul got it. He understood rest, but what about Peter? Maybe what, what grade would you give Peter at first? That's a good question because, uh, you know, that, in fact, Peter's a good example because I think you mentioned earlier, you know, there's a point where Peter's sleeping when he really should be uh, awake. And that this, the interesting thing about the rest that Christ offers, we're not really talking about a, a lifestyle where you just sort of lay around and you don't, you know, and you don't do anything. When Jesus makes this offer of rest, it's coupled with the promise of a yoke, which is a really interesting uh, uh, image that he gives. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Because a yoke was something that you placed on a, on a beast of burden, right? It was, a, it was a wooden implement, kind of a collar that was placed on an animal in order to make it easier for the animal to bear the load. I think Jesus is saying a couple of things with that for us. One is... He's telling us that we're already burdened, that we already are carrying a load, and he wants us to exchange it. You know, ultimately, of course, it's the load of sin, and he wants to take that from us and give us his own righteousness. But there is also a promise of service there, that when we accept the rest that comes from Christ, we enter into a life of activity empowered by the Holy Spirit, empowered by Christ, so that when I, if, you know, to go back to your question, when I look at all the characters of the Bible, on the one hand, probably at some point for all of us, we flunk at some point. Mm. You know, and we, we need to be reoriented and that, uh, it really isn't a, it isn't a competition. But it, it is a case where we have to learn 
take the yoke from Christ and learn to experience the reality of that rest. And I think that's a day-to-day experience. It's not like, oh, I learned it. Like I learned it when I wrote this book and now I've got it down. It's something I get to experience anew every single day. Absolutely. I just out of curiosity, what kind of pillow do you use? Oh, I use one of those special pillows because I, <laughs> I have neck pain. Because I'm looking so, at the cover here. It's it called like, I Love My Pillow. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a Serta, just out of curiosity, you know, I, on, the, on the cover here, I could, I could tell. But, you know, it's really actually very serious that the Lord is offering himself and the kind of rest that we desperately need, and yet we don't take him on that offer. And it, it's kind of a sad commentary that all we have to do is rest. It seems so simple, probably the simplest thing in the world, like a lot of the things that the Lord tells us, and yet we go our own direction. You ever in your own life just kind of feel guilty for not resting oh, all more? The time. Constantly, all the time. And you know, there's a, a wonderful book on uh, uh, rest that's on, uh, it's actually about leisure by a theologian by the name of Joseph Pieper. And one of the points that he makes is that we fundamentally do not trust uh, that which we don't produce for ourselves. That's, that's part of what we're struggling with at the very heart of it. It is that it's that struggle between grace and effort, our own effort to sort of establish ourselves. So that whenever we're put in this position where we are receiving, it, it, you know, it can really feel awkward to us because we're used to trying to sort of pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps or we're repeatedly told that, you know, we need to justify. And, you know, I, it's one of the things that frustrates me in the context of worship. There are people, worship leaders will often sort of take us to task and say, well, if you're only here to worship, and the implication is you should be here to do something else also, work in the nursery or sign up for the work project. Now, all those things are good, but it is really enough to be in God's presence and to to experience it and to uh, receive from God when we come together as God's people. That yes. really is justified in and of itself. Dr. Kessler, let's talk about the worship for just a minute. You know, the way things are today, and I'm not, you know, criticizing or being too picky, but it seems like uh, the music is, you know, really high production value, everything. And uh, I'm again, if you go back a few years, that there were times where you could just kind of rest in the music and it didn't have to be a production where you were up and had to be so yeah. bubbly. It was okay to rest. It was okay to just kind of reflect. And uh, do you think that has a little bit to do with the two in the churches? Well, I, I think it is symptomatic. I, you know, I realize that for many people, they, they enjoy the fact that they can be engaged. They can stand, they can clap their hands. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think that there there is an underlying mentality there with the the word I would use is a kind of frenzied devotion where you always you kind of always have to be busy you always have to be doing something you you have to stand through the whole <laughs> the whole worship service or uh, you know there is a there was an earlier tradition where the mentality was maybe you didn't stand and you weren't as active, but you always had to be there and doing something. Again, it's this sort of burden that instead of coming to receive from Christ, we have to produce something. Now, again, I have to balance it out. And, and you know, I recognize that and that one of the reasons that we come together in the church as the body of Christ 
is to serve one another. The difference is that I think that the energy today, the sense you get is that the energy comes from within us, that it's something we, you know, we have to produce for ourselves rather than a mentality of being empowered by God through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and I know that people who get that are the prayer warriors, the people who are intercessors, and they understand that something happens when people rest and and meditate on the Word of God and pray. And unfortunately, it's one of the least attended parts of the church is the prayer services or they have on certain evenings. But let me ask you a question. If someone said, Dr. Kessler, define rest for me, what would you say to them? Well, most fundamentally, the, the biblical definition is when we cease from our own works, we cease from our own effort and and allow God to do for us what we cannot accomplish for ourselves. I think that's, you know, I, I think in general, of course, any kind of rest is a, is a cessation. Actually, that's part of what we struggle with because we have this mentality, our, our definition of leisure today and what we do when we're resting sometimes is more exhaustive than our work. Maybe you, you know, you've heard people, they come back from their vacation and they'll say, Oh, I need a vacation from my vacation because we were so busy with it. But the basic idea of rest is to, to cease, to step back from something. And then in, you know, the writer of Hebrews really places an effort. Actually, it's interesting. The writer of Hebrews describes it. Even as a location, it's something, it's a place that we enter. It's, uh, the, the image, of course, from the Old Testament is in, in Israel being taken to a place of rest, the, the place, the, the place of God's promise, which for the writer of Hebrews, that is the pers- person and work of Jesus Christ, so that we cease from our own effort to try to put ourselves in a right relationship with God. And we rely on what God himself has done for us. And then when it comes to the practice of it, then we, you know, the disciplines of rest, we're basically putting ourselves in an environment where in very concrete ways we begin to experience that. Well, you seem like a very nice man to me. I mean, you're a professor (laughs) at Moody Bible Institute, and I imagine that workaholics don't like you very much. You know, I actually, I think, I think anybody who is, uh, struggling with this, uh, uh, sense of, you know, exhaustion and particularly the sense that they're trying to do for themselves, trying to bring themselves into this state of rest when they can't really do it. I actually think they appreciate hearing. It's a relief to hear Christ's invitation. I agree. And, you know, there's a lot of commentary in scripture where people are constantly trying to do things for the yeah. Lord in their own strength. And you look at yeah. the Old Testament, the New Testament, and uh, a lot of people got punished for doing things in, yeah. in their own strength rather than resting in the Lord. And can you uh, address that one? I think, it's, I think that's our default mode, you know, humanly. I think that is uh, one of the, um, you know, it, it is one of the dis- dysfunctions of the sinful nature. When, when you think about the, the biblical story of the fall, the first thing that Adam and Eve do is they try to make covering for themselves. They, they try to take care of the problem on their own. And it's interesting that God, God basically has to replace their garments. I think that's a nice picture of what he's done for us with respect to sin, that it is within our own nature 
apart from the grace of God, our tendency is to want to fix it ourselves, to do whatever it takes. You know, maybe it's trying to live the right kind of life, or maybe it is engaging in religious practice, or or maybe it's just ignoring it altogether and say, you know, I'm, I'm just going to live in a state of denial. All of those are modes where we're really trying to work it out ourselves. And, of course, the basic message of the gospel is you can't do that. You can't yes. fix it for yourself. Yeah, I think about that, that rest, rest unto your soul and the world around us. And unfortunately, Christians, too, but the world around us is trying to fill that void with yeah. every vice possible that you could yes. possibly think of. I mean, they're commercial after commercial that this will be, you know, what you need to fill that void. But it's really the rest unto your soul. It's such a, a bad trade off that we trade in God's peace, God's rest for for the headaches that we get in this world. That's that's really true. I think you're, you're right on with that. And again, that's that's sort of the atmosphere of the culture that surrounds us, that if we really aren't allowing the word of God and the reality of our experience with Christ to correct us, we just buy into it. You know, we just we, we don't think about it. We just sort of we just let the stream of that kind of thinking carry us along. Yes. Let me ask you, Dr. Kessler, how far did you go as far as the research in this book? I mean, where do you begin with a subject like this? And uh, I, I mentioned, you know, areas of the scriptures, but how far did you take it uh, about learning the word rest and and all the subsequent uh, research involved? Yeah, I, you know, I started with uh, Christ's foundational promise in Matthew 11, and then, of course, I... Then I began to look at the um, the practice of rest in the Old Testament because the first one to rest in Scripture is God, which that in itself is pretty astonishing when you consider the Bible says he never sleeps, he never slumbers, he never grows weary. In fact, that's sort of the key, I think, to unlocking this biblical idea of rest because when God rests, it's not... He's not doing it because in all this work of creation, he exhausted himself and he had to replenish himself. And he's not simply doing it as a, uh, uh, as a model, although there is an element of that. It is the rest of completion. It is the, uh, I think the picture you have is that God has completed his work. He has done everything that he needs to do. And that led me and then to look a little bit at the practice of Sabbath. And then I was, you know, mainly just looking at it in terms of our own uh, experience, the areas of life where we're wrestling with it. And so, you know, looking at the notion of false rest, the the sin of sloth, which is something we really don't think about today, that a, a lot of our, actually a lot of our activity, this, this busyness is really a form of sloth, Um the struggle with ambition that we have or, you know, what it means to find rest in this culture where we take our we take the crowd with us. We're always accessible to our employer. That is the reality of living in this digital age, which, of course, isn't you know, I, I wouldn't be talking to you in this way without the di- without <laughs> digital culture. But it can be a trap for us. That's true. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, our employer and work again? What was that? Yeah, well, you know, I, when you think about Jesus, um, so you know, Jesus practiced rest by separating himself from the crowd. So the, the problem of busyness, the problem of the crowd sort of pressing in on us, that's a, not a new problem. What's new for us is that we take the crowd with us, right? I've got, I've always got this uh, 
when I have, if I have my smartphone in my pocket, you know, anybody who's friended me can sort of make their way into my life. And one of the things that that's done in terms of employment is this mentality, first of all, that your employer can always reach you, right? Mm-hmm. That although you, maybe you work, you know, for eight, nine hours a day, when you're not at work, you're still at work because your employer can reach you or you're thinking about your work. You know, the excess accessibility that we have to all the materials we used to leave behind at the office, now we all have them at home. Not only do we have them at home, we have them in our pocket. So it creates an environment where you never have any space. You never have space from your work. You never have space from the crowd. Mm-hmm. And that becomes uh, it becomes addictive to us so that we feel anxiety when we're detached from it. And I think it becomes a tool that we use to keep God out. You know, we structure our lives sometimes, I think, so that we don't have to listen to God. We don't want to become aware of his presence. You really strike an accord with me. I'm sure our listeners, too, because, you know, when you think about it, oh, my goodness, you're right. You know, you come home and you spend maybe two hours with your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't feel right, even, that you spend two (laughs) or three hours and you think something's wrong. And I, I just... I'm sure that, uh, you know, when we see the Lord, you know, face to face and uh, did you intend for an eight or nine hour workday? I mean, that seems right. very unusual. I yeah. I think four hours best would be better. I think we'd all be happier people, <laughs> you know, yeah, but I think just, the I'm, ultimate I'm stand. <laughs> you agree with that? <laughs> I was going to make something up, make a comment about educational culture, but I better not in case my boss. Hears no, me. no, no. Come on. This uh, <laughs> Nobody's listening. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I just say so you ought to go into teaching if you want to. <laughs> It's got to be higher education, though. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Dr. Kessler, where's that next book of yours? You know, and they say, well, wait a minute, I'm resting on this. That actually be my next book, the four hour workday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I think the ultimate standoff, though, is uh, Jesus and the disciples in the corn fields, okay, during the Sabbath day. And what do the Pharisees say? And I think he said that, uh, you know, the Sabbath wasn't made for, or man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Yeah. Was, you, you go ahead and finish it since I'm yes, deficient. <laughs> that that uh, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. That That's it, right. It, it's a gift. And right there you see the problem. That, mm-hmm. that here is this gift that God has given to his people where it really works into this very deep structure of their life, their lives the opportunity to receive from God. Because when you look at the way the Sabbath had to be practiced, there was a sense where they were, uh, uh, where there is a sacrifice involved instead of working, instead of doing the normal things that God has ordained that we need to do to provide for ourselves. We step back and we rely upon God to make up the difference for us, to, to take care of us so that, but instead, what happens, and again, I think this is very typical of uh, what can happen with the spiritual disciplines when they're detached from God's original intent, that they become a burden in themselves instead of instead of uh, being a means by which God provides for us, then we begin to serve them, and they become this a different kind of yoke that we take on ourselves that that distracts us from all that God provides for us. Yes, and the Lord welcomes people to test it out, if you will. I mean, look at Exodus 34, 
21, that six days you shall work, but on yeah. the seventh day you shall rest in plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. And, and what was the outcome? That uh, there were certain times that in the season that uh, the people were to rest, uh, the Israelites, the Jewish people. And uh, what would happen is that uh, God would bless them abundantly if you followed yeah. their – because one day you were to stop all and cease all activities. And you even look at Chick-fil-A. A Christian yes. company that is closed on Sunday, they have a better financial record, from what I understand, than than yeah. a lot of the other top ones. I mean, and I, I believe that's God's law right there. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. They're, they're a great example of somebody who has, you know, they've embraced this uh, this this biblical principle, and and it's really at cost to them, right? You know, they could be making money on mm-hmm. that day. And uh, what they find, what they find is that that God is providing for them. Yes. So where do we go from here? I mean, we covered a lot here. And uh, anything that you think that we missed, or you'd like to uh, let our audience know about this? I mean, this is a lot of work, a lot of work went into this book. Yeah. Well, you know what I think. One of the things that was uh, striking to me as I was reflecting on it is the 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 promise, uh, the ultimate promise of rest that you find that. The promise of final rest that that all of this tends toward the the rest of what that we receive in eternity because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, and that we kind of have i think even lost sight of that today because we're very much oriented toward the present, we tend to be activists, even in the church, you know we want to change the culture that there is. There is ultimately a change and a transformation that will come about, but it will only come about when Jesus Christ returns, and we're waiting for that. And we can't we can't bring it about by our own effort. We're waiting for Christ to come and provide that for us. So there is a rest, you know, there is a practice of rest that we engage in today, but there is a rest that is to come that is better than any experience of rest we have in the present. Amen. I think about uh, the word here, it's in big red letters, radical, in your book, and it really is radical. Sometimes, you know, I was watching the U.S. Open tennis the other day, and there was commercial after commercial, and I just turned off the commercials or put the mute button, and to me, that was kind of radical to stop this crazy machine that's happened all the time and just, you know, experience peace. And are people surprised, you think, if they just practiced, you know, turning off all these devices, you mentioned the smartphone, and experience what peace feels like, even that in itself would probably have a healing effect on a lot of people. I think it would. And I think, I think the initial reaction, quite honestly, is un- they're uncomfortable. Yes. You know, you feel one of the things I've been trying to do is, uh, is, you know, fast from email on Sundays. And it feels awkward initially to me. You know, I feel the tug of it and I feel a little bit worried about it. And then there's a sense of relief to realize, especially when I finally go back to it and find, you know, I didn't really miss anything <laughs> that I couldn't do without. That there is, after you, you know, after you experience that sense of discomfort and begin to uh, be aware of the reality of God's presence and be aware of the the grace that Christ provides, there's a great relief in laying aside your burden and 
taking up the yoke that Christ offers you. Yes, this is so insightful because people really don't, believe it or not, take the time to think about this and what it means no. to rest, and they, they have it all wrong. The Lord has it all backwards, you know? The uh, the last shall be first, and the yeah. first shall be last. Right. We have it, it's always like that, and, you know, uh, so, okay, so, you know, it's okay to sleep till 12 o'clock, and we should bring a <laughs> hammock to work, that's okay. Some too. days, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've really enjoyed having you on the program. It's uh, Dr. Uh, Kessler has joined us, John Kessler, and the book is called The Radical Pursuit of Rest, Escaping the Productivity Trap, and Dr. Kessler is busy at Moody Bible Institute. He's served there for over 20 years, and he's an author of several books, and where can people buy your book? Uh, well, you can get it from Amazon. This particular book uh, you can get for also from uh, InterVarsity Press, from their website, any of the, any really of the major um, online uh, book book. Uh, purveyors should have it uh have access to it yes we recommend our uh, audience go out and get it once again dr kessler the pursuit of rest is really the pursuit of god thanks for being on the program thanks michael